Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Grace Point. Wherever you are in the world, we are so glad to see you, especially if you're here for the very first time. So, uh, did anything happen last week? Was there anything eventful? Um, a little bit of an ice storm in places? Oh, also, uh, one of our Facebook posts that was a recap of last Sunday's sermon went, went a bit viral. Um, uh, as of today, I think if the last time I saw, we've had about 400,000 maybe just under 400,000 impressions across our social media. Um, in this recap of the sermon about the Bible I gave last week, um, there were some people who have been really upset by it. Uh, they didn't listen to the sermon necessarily. They were upset by the, by the, just the content of it. Um, and so our, our page has been inundated with all sorts of things. I've been called a lot of, a lot of names, um, uh, uh, sheep, wolf in sheep's clothing, heretic, false prophet, all those kind of things. Um, and then we also uh, I've received a barrage of Bible verses, which is always interesting because I, I wonder if people think I haven't read those or, or something. Um, so let me just, I want to say, here's what I want to say. Yes, it has been a little nasty. People have been, so, lots of people have been really, really hateful and uh, mean-spirited. But let me tell you the interesting thing. In all of those messages, and I, I haven't really read uh, after like Tuesday, I stopped reading the comments. Um, but in those, I've also received messages of people who did not know Grace Point existed. They've been longing for a community like Grace Point. I bet some of you this morning found out about Grace Point and you're here because that post went viral. And so, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that people have acted so ugly. But the reality is there are people now who are finding their way to our community who thought that a church like Grace Point could not exist that nobody would be, that there was not a place where they could be honest about what they thought and who they were, where they could bring them their full self into participation in a community. And again, out of all the, if I, you know, all the nasty whatever, those messages, people who say, have messages said, keep going, keep going. What your church is doing is helping many more people than you could possibly imagine. So Grace Point, know this, um, that you don't have to go and engage on those posts. Please don't. Uh, don't go read the comments if you haven't. Don't don't go try to get into argument. Let, let's just let it let let them do their thing. Um, let's not engage it, but let's keep doing what we do, which is for people who are really longing for transformation, for people who are longing for a new way to approach, um, and not even a new way. It's actually quite old. Um, we're just all discovering it. Um, a way to approach their faith that holds their head and their heart together. A place where they don't have to agree to a bunch of doctrinal statements in order to be included. Um, there are those people who need that. And so our focus, my focus as your pastor, is on helping as many people as we possibly can who so desperately want to hang on to their faith, but who also feel like that, that doesn't really seem like an option in the current context. Um, we are helping people. You, Grace Point, you are helping people. And I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so grateful to be your pastor and I am so, um, I'm just so excited and open about what the next season will look like. And, and um, yeah, just, just so, so grateful. Um, so this morning, we're going to continue our series, which has been focused on a question. What is progressive Christianity? And I wanted to, I want to jump into the sermon, but I'm really excited to share some news. Um, on the 28th of this month, February 28th, uh, Brian McLaren is going to be preaching for us again. 
Uh, Brian has a book called uh, Why Did Jesus, Moses, the Buddha, and Muhammad Cross the Road? Christian Identity in a Multi-Faith World. And Brian, and he has a new book called Faith After Doubt. And Brian is, is going to be doing a message that sort of brings those two books together. What does it mean to be a progressive Christian? And what does it mean to be a progressive Christian in relationship to other religious, r- religious traditions? Um, I've already seen the sermon. Uh, he sent it this week. And let me tell you what, it is incredible. You do not want to miss this sermon. And as a way of trying to get the word out, um, um, which ha- hasn't really been a problem this week, um, we wanna, we're going to do a giveaway. And so uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, um, when you see the post come up where we're, we sort of announce Brian's coming, like that and share it, and you'll be entered into a drawing. We're going to give away three different sets of uh, three of Brian's books. The three books are Why Did Jesus, Moses, the Buddha, and Muhammad Cross the Road. And then another one is A New Kind of Christianity, 10 Questions That Are Transforming the Faith, and also his brand new book, Faith after doubt, why your beliefs stop working and what to do about it. So Brian will be here on the 28th and we'll announce um, who, who the winners are on each of the social media platforms on the 28th as well. So find the post when we, when we put it up, like, share, and you are entered. Um, so, yeah, so excited to have Brian back with us. Um, today I want to think about the goal of progressive Christianity. What's the point? Uh, what, what question, because it seems like we're all in some ways living in response to a question. What, what is the question we're living in response to? Maybe the best way to sort of phrase it is, what is the gospel? And gospel means good news. What is the good news, the gospel, uh, through a progressive Christian lens? So for many of us, the framework we inherited, uh, the gospel is about something that would happen in the future. The question that sort of sums up that view that many of us uh, had, had, were brought into the world with in so many ways, the question is, what would happen if you died tonight? Anybody ever been asked that question before? Anybody ever been at a church service where that question's come up? I remember um, when I was around uh, 11 years old, yeah, probably 11, we had a revival service and um, a preacher told a story, a really, really scary story about someone who um, was young and passed away. And then he said, with something to the equivalent of, uh, there are people in this room, with all these people in this room, it's possible that somebody here will die tonight. If you died tonight, what would happen? And I mean, I ran as fast as I could down front because that's a scary question. What, because in that framework, for me, God was a scary God. God couldn't quite be trusted to be tender and compassionate. God was an angry, distant, finger-shaking judge, right? That, that was sort of my image of God. And so that question, um, that, that's the question. What would happen if you died tonight? Now, this is not a question about the actual process of dying, what that means. It, it's asking where are you going to go when you die? Are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? According to this understanding of the gospel, believing in Jesus, accepting Jesus, whatever language you use, is the way you can be sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die. Marcus Borg has described this approach as a believing now or being good now for the sake of heaven later, right? So it's a framework that's focused on the future. What will happen when I die? When I held this understanding, my faith became increasingly self-centered and transactional. Self-centered because it was really about me and my afterlife experience. I tried to do what God wanted me to do, and, but the main thing was believing in Jesus the right way. Um, and, and, you know, I tried to tell other people that they should believe in Jesus too, but there was still all this, like, this is, this is their thing. I can't do this for them. I can only do it for me, that sort of thing. Um, and then this transaction at the core of understanding the gospel was that my belief in Jesus paid a debt I owed God. Jesus paid my debt. I have, I believe in that. And now uh, I get God off my back. 
or at least get God to give me a spot in heaven. This transactional experience would continue into my everyday life because uh, I would often bargain with God. Has anybody ever done, done the whole, God, if you do X, I'll do Y, that sort of thing? Pretty sure I've made some, some unfulfilled promises to God to, to pass exams, to survive roller coasters, which I do not like, um, to avoid a speeding ticket when I pass a police car going 20 miles over the speed limit. Does anybody else do those sort of things where you just say, God, if you do X, I'll do, I'll do Y? And that, that's a transactional approach to faith. This believe now for heaven later framework allowed me to ignore a lot of things. It allowed me to ignore a lot of really urgent things. Why care about the planet if all this is just going to burn? We're going to leave it anyway. And we're going to talk about, um, in, I think on March 7th, we're going to talk about um, sort of this, how, how does progressive Christianity deal with eschatology, which is a way of saying end times. Um, but we're going to leave the planet, so why care about it? Why pursue equity and protest injustice? Why I care about solvable issues like global hunger and uh, clean water in the developing world? Or why do anything that sort of smacks of a social gospel? I mean, that, that's social gospel is almost a swear word in some Christian circles. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. But why, why do anything that has societal impact if the point of the gospel is something that's going to happen to us when we die? Outside of this life, in the future. We hope in the far future, Right. When we did do things, like we would act in response to pressing needs around us, we almost used it like a, a Trojan horse. Because we, we would do whatever we were doing, but the real point was trying to con, uh, convert the people we were serving. Right? We, we wanted people to know that even though, if they had spent their lives suffering injustice, that God wasn't letting them off the hook if they didn't believe the right way. And, and we weren't being disingenuous. We actually believed that. We actually believed that and wanted other people to be prepared like we were for what was going to come next. So that's sort of the, the framework many of us inherited. This believe now for heaven later. This um, the, the whole point of the gospel is answering the question, what will happen if you die tonight? So how does a progressive Christian lens see the gospel? If we sum it up in a question like we did the other, what if you die tonight? Here's what I would say the question is for progressive Christianity. What will we do since we woke up today? Not what will happen tomorrow, because nobody knows what will happen tomorrow. But right here and right now, I'm awake and I'm alive in the world and you are too. Every day we wake up, we have choices about what we're going to be, how we're going to be, how we're going to engage, what we're going to put into the world. The Christian tradition is not about preparing for the afterlife. It's about the transformation and healing of the world, not the conversion of the world to our religion, the transformation and healing of the world. To, to put it succinctly, any gospel that isn't social or political isn't actually gospel. Any gospel, any good news that just talks about some sort of disembodiment, that doesn't focus on the real needs and the real uh, injustices and the real pain and suffering of the world, it's just not good news. It, it may be systematic theology, it may be a doctrine, it may be a dogma, but it, it isn't really good news. In Luke 4, Jesus gives his first sermon in Luke's account. Uh, in a synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And he's just come out of the wilderness after being tempted for 40 days, and he's been getting quite the reputation. I want to read you Luke's account. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as he normally did and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, 
He unrolled the scroll. I'm making the motion. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. The Lord has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. And he began to explain to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled, fulfilled just as you heard it. What, what a high drama moment. Right? Jesus reads a text, sits down. There's a hush over the crowd. Everybody leans in to hear what he's going to say about this text. And he says, today, this text is being fulfilled right in front of you. Wow. Now, things quickly went sour. Um, everybody thought Jesus was so great, and then he pushed the envelope a little bit, and they tried to throw him off a cliff. They ran him out of town and tried to throw him off a cliff. Um, so I, I guess if you give a sermon and it doesn't end with somebody trying to do that, then you, you're probably ahead of the game. Um, but before all that, before they tried to run him out of town, run him off a cliff, uh, Jesus takes the scroll and he opens it up and he reads in the text that he chooses, speaks about good news. It speaks about gospel. And it's, it's gospel, it's good news to the poor. What would be good news if you didn't have enough food to eat or a home to live in? What would good news be if you believe these things, then when you die, you can go to heaven and you'll get a mansion you know, up on the hilltop? Gold streets, is that, is that what it is? What, what would good news be if you were being oppressed by an unjust and corrupt system? Right? What, would, what would good news be in the middle of uh, situations like we've been dealing with far too often in this country of police violence and brutality? What would good news be to somebody who had been completely squashed by the system? Jesus is not saying, here's the good news. This life may stink, but if you believe the right things, then you're going to go up there when you die and everything's going to be so much better. Mansion on the hilltop, streets of gold. He's actually implying, and he says it, that the text is being fulfilled. He actually is implying that his mission isn't a disembodied spirituality or an afterlife management system or even becoming a more polite person or even having a personal relationship with him, which is a phrase that doesn't actually show up in the Bible. What Jesus is saying is his gospel is about the transformation of the world. It's about justice and equity. It's about embodied, embodied compassion and solidarity. Right? The gospel is about politics. The gospel is about economics, not just religion. The gospel is inherently social because it casts a vision for a different world, a just and generous world. And I think you'd say this. Uh, Jesus doesn't get executed by the empire for teaching a disembodied spirituality of going to heaven when you die. He dies because he's challenging the way the empire runs the world. He's saying there's a better way, a more just, equitable, compassionate way, a more generous way to run the world. Gospel is a verb, after all. It is not an idea to assent to, but a way of being and living and a way of being and living that makes the world a better place for all of the earth's inhabitants. Maybe to give it sort of the action, maybe we could call it good newsing, right? Because that's what gospel is. When you're sharing gospel, you're good newsing 
in the world. Jesus saw his role as someone who had been anointed, and that literally is like Messiah. He, he, it's, it's one of those, uh, the word, it's connected to the word Messiah. Um, to be, he's been anointed, he's been Messiah to engage in the work of announcing that the presence of the kingdom of God is already among us. Right? In Mark chapter 1, Jesus doesn't say, the kingdom will come someday. Jesus calls people. He says, change your heart and your life. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. Jesus' work is to work is creating this awareness that we don't have to wait for some other time in some other place. That we don't have to wait for an afterlife for things to get better. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, he's talking about this bringing justice on earth as it is in heaven, right? And Jesus is saying, you don't have to wait for that. It's right here. The way you engage the kingdom is not simply signing off on a belief statement. It's embodying kingdom values in the world. It's embodying a more just and generous gospel. And this has lots of implications, both personally for us and communally. And so we'll start with personal. I actually do think our lives and our relationship or awareness, the awareness we cultivate with God matters. Um, teams, you know, when you think about a sport, teams compete together, um, but they all don't do the same thing, right? So the success of a team depends on everybody doing their particular role, practicing and getting really, really good at our particular role. And so when we think about, so that's how team, that's how teams work, right? Everybody has their thing, everybody gets good at their thing, and then they come together and they put all the pieces together. And I think that that's sort of how community works, right? When we come into community, we bring our full self, our full person. And where we are and who we are, that impacts the whole of the community. So before we really can embrace a good newsing gospel, even as a community, we have to begin to make room for that in our own hearts. We have to begin to cultivate that sort of awareness of what, is, what does it look like uh, to bring a, a more just and generous world into existence. And, and I, I need to start with me. i got to commit first in my own heart. As a community, this means that our primary work is joining the Good News Project. Right? It's using our time and our energy and our resources in ways that create a more just and generous world for everyone. Not just the people who sign up on our religion, not just progressive Christians, everyone. And that is our commitment here at Grace Point. As progressive Christians, we want to embody that good news, that just and generous good news uh, to the world. And so uh, how are some ways we're doing that? I mean, some of the ways we do that is through your generosity, right? We, we, we give a percentage of everything we bring in at Grace Point uh, offering-wise, we give a percentage of that and it goes back into the community and helps encourage and sustain programs of people who are doing some really beautiful and brilliant work in the world. So uh, I'd like to end with an exercise. So maybe this will be helpful. Um, a few years ago, I did this with the community I was pastoring in Kentucky and we, we ended up having it, um, vinyl letters had it put on the wall um, that as you left the gathering space, you would, this is the first wall you would see. Now, what I want us to do is I want us to reread that section um, where Jesus quotes from Isaiah. I want us to read that section again together. So if you're willing, right there, wherever you are watching this, um, I'd love for you to join me when I read it. But I made, I made a little tweak, and I replaced me with us. Because uh, for, for me, I, I want to make sure as a community we know that this work isn't something that is just grounded in the past. And it's not something that might just happen in the future that if we take this call seriously, we can be good newsing people in the world. We can help create a more just and generous church and more just and generous Christianity and ultimately a more just and generous world. And so uh, 
for me, this is a helpful way to think about committing myself to that work all over again. And so we're going to have it on the screen there, and I would just invite you uh, to read it with me. Here we go. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us, because the Lord has anointed us. He has sent us to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Imagine a group of Christians who went into the world and they were holding signs, but not signs that condemned people. What if, what if a Christian just had a sign up that said, God is on your side, right? This is the year of the Lord's favor. God is for you. You are not a problem for God. You are a child of God and God delights in you. Imagine a group of Christians who went into the world good newsing and announcing God's love and being a force for liberation and justice. This naturally means that we're going to be involved and use some of our time and energy on protesting injustice, on working for a better world. Uh, you know, when you read this text, to liberate the oppressed, I mean, we, we in this country, and thankfully we're hopefully going to see some change on this, but in this country, there, private prisons exist. And essentially, lots of people make lots of money that depend on people being incarcerated. Really? That doesn't sound like a very just thing. What do we do about that? What do we do um, about the gross injustices that happen all around the place? What do we do? What do we do? We, we take this, this invitation to realize that we have been anointed, which is a fancy way of saying uh, we, we, have, we have been um, empowered. We have been empowered to be good news people in the world. We have been empowered to let everybody in the world know that this is the year of the Lord's favor. We've been empowered to stand against injustice and to work for liberation. We have been empowered to celebrate the kingdom that is already here, not coming in the future. That's our work, Grace Point. That is our work. Will some people criticize us? Sure. Will some people quote the Bible at us and say we aren't a real church and maybe call us heretics and false prophets and all that stuff? Sure. No. Sure. Will some people, will somebody hear a more just and generous gospel for the very first time and realize they aren't alone and they aren't weird and they're not crazy? They're actually onto something. Yes, yes, yes. Those are the messages I hang on to this week. The messages where somebody says, I didn't know a church like Grace Point could exist. And since we're all going to be here together, let's figure out how to leverage our platform. Let's figure out how to leverage our resources, our creativity, our energy. Let's leverage those things and be gospel people in the world. People who are good newsing everywhere we go.